0: Today, because of the pandemic across our country, churches and baseball stadiums are empty. And I care about both. Hey, I worship Jesus, and I'm a big baseball fan. Years ago, my son Mac and I visited the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. The museum shines the spotlight on 333 members who made a memorable contribution to the sport of baseball's 157-year history. The game's all-time greats are enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And what a fun day we had touring. But today, we're going to tour the Bible's Hall of Faith. For Hebrews chapter 11 spotlights the Old Testament's great examples of faith. And for the next few minutes... We're going to walk with these giants of faith and pray that their faith rubs off on us. Well, the writer begins by defining faith. Verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Christian life is full of blessing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Yet according to Ephesians, our blessings are spiritual and heavenly. And for physical, tactile, earthbound people, that makes those spiritual blessings ethereal and hard to grasp. Here's our dilemma. The blessings we have in Christ are spiritual and eternal, whereas we occupy physical bodies and we're confined to a temporal world. We're used to interacting with our surroundings through our five senses. Yet spiritual blessings can't be touched or tasted or smelled or seen or heard. But God has an answer to our problem. It's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith brings texture and substance to spiritual and whispery realities. Faith is a handle. By faith, we grab hold of God's love and power and peace and truly possess them. Ever have trouble opening a jar? Well, here's what you do. You get a textured rag or towel. You wrap it around the slick top, and that rag enables you to grip it and apply the torque that you need to twist off the top. This is what faith does. It produces spiritual torque. It's a way for us to get a grip On God's blessings. Faith is the sixth sense that perceives the spiritual and the eternal. As Oswald Sanders once put it, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith alerts us to the spiritual traffic around us. It opens our eyes to God's work in our lives. Think of faith as a bobber on a fishing line. It sits there on top of the water with your eyes, you, you can't tell what's going on under the surface. But when you see that bobber plunge, you know you've hooked the fish. And faith is like a fishing bobber. It alerts us to the invisible realities that are on the other end of the line. Well, verse 2 tells us, For by it, that is, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Realize the impact this passage had on the Hebrew believers to whom it was sent. When they left the institutions of Judaism to trust Jesus as their Messiah and to walk by simple faith, they were accused by friends and family and rabbis of abandoning their Jewish roots. Yet here they're assured that a life of faith is a hallmark of a Jewish heritage, not a departure. All the great heroes of faith, the elders... Gain God's approval by faith. Once a Brazilian man, Marcio da Silva, he fell in love with a beautiful young lady. To prove his love for her, Marcio walked on his knees for nine miles to see Katia. He tied pieces of old tires to his knees and he hobbled down the road for 14 hours. Marcio was cheered on by motorists and bystanders until he reached her house. But the beautiful Kadia was unimpressed. She heard that Marcio was coming, and she left her house to avoid him. Well, the Jews were a lot like Marcio. Over their long history, they had made great sacrifices. They had performed extreme displays of devotion in an attempt to win God's favor. Yet like Kadia, God was unimpressed. Verse 2 tells us that the elders of Israel obtained a good testimony Not by their works, but by their faith. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Astronomers now theorize that 98% of the matter in the universe is invisible. Outer space is made up of far more than what meets the eye. The universe is unimaginably large, but also infinitesimally small. At first, we discovered the molecule, then the atom, then the electron, and the proton. Today, scientists talk about quarks, and gluons, and photons, and neutrinos. Yet the writer of Hebrews was ahead of science. He says here, "...the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible." And whether great or small, whether visible or invisible, everything that God created began with His Word. So you can't have faith in God without faith in His Word. Once the famous missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, wrote a letter to one of his supporters. In it, he boasted of his abundance. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. (laughs) Maybe that's how you feel today. But God's work always begins with faith in God's Word. Real faith believes it to be true because God said so. And here we're told that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. This word translated worlds can mean ages or periods of time. Both the physical universe and the history of mankind were formed by God's Word. You know, God has an unfolding plan. History is not random. History is His story. The cornerstone of faith is the realization that God controls world's events, even our events, and it all climaxes in the kingdom of His Son. Everyone in this hall of faith was looking for that kingdom. Have you ever heard someone say, let me show you how that's done? Of course you have. We all have. At times, the best explanation is a demonstration. It's better to show a person how it's done than it is to tell them. Some lessons are better caught than taught. And this is true of faith. Warren Weersby writes, The best way for faith to grow is to walk with the faithful. And the author of Hebrews would agree. For the rest of chapter 11, he encourages the faith of his readers By pointing to people who had lived by faith before them. And he starts, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Realize true faith always responds to God on his terms, not ours. Adam's two sons both offered a sacrifice. Abel went to his flocks and he slaughtered a lamb. Cain went to his fields and he brought a fruit basket. But Abel offered the more excellent sacrifice because his offering was the sacrifice God desired. You remember when their parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And it turned out to be an ironic twist Handle a fig leaf and you'll find out quickly how itchy and scratchy it is. Hey, God is far more merciful. Instead of fig leaves, He clothed the fallen family in lamb skins. But since animals don't usually give up their pelts voluntarily, that necessitated the killing of a lamb. God was teaching that the wages of sin is death. Forgiveness requires a sacrifice. It's hypothesized that when God rejected Cain's sacrifice, his age was 129. That means he had been offering lambs 100 plus years. In other words, Cain knew better. But pride got the best of him. And on this occasion, Cain tried to substitute the work of his hands for the blood of a lamb. And God rejected his sacrifice. When Cain laid his crops on the altar... I'll bet he was humming the Sinatra tune, I did it my way. But you don't come to God your way. If you truly love God, you'll love Him the way He wants to be loved, not just a way that's convenient for you. People today believe God will forgive you as long as you're sincere. Your understanding of God and the details of your faith don't matter that much. But that's not true. Faith isn't me striking a deal of my own liking with God. It's accepting God's terms. Well, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch experienced what all Christians hope to one day. He was raptured. One evening after dinner, old Enoch, he told the missus, he was taking the dog for a walk. And he never came back. Enoch made such a habit of walking with God, of enjoying God's presence. On this occasion, he ended up closer to God's house than his, and God just took him on home with him. Enoch pleased God because of faith. For verse 6 tells us, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. This is the theme of the whole chapter. The only way to gain God's favor is by faith. And here's what constitutes true faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sincere faith believes God exists and it expects God to bless. Faith is a Godward expectation. When my daughter Natalie was little, she'd look up at me with those big blue eyes and she'd ask, Daddy, I want some ice cream. Well, I'd recall that she really hadn't eaten much dinner and it was just before bedtime and often Kathy had already told her no. And so I'd say, okay, princess, let's get us some ice cream. Hey, with my little girl, I was a soft touch. And so is God with his kids. God is a rewarder. Of those who diligently seek Him. But you have to seek. Verse 7. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Prior to Noah the earth was watered by heavy dew. It had never actually rained. At the time the earth had a much different ecosystem. But the same cynicism. Imagine the cable news reporters grilling Noah. They mocked him and ridiculed him. I'm sure Noah became fodder for the late-night talk show hosts. Noah reminds us that faith is never popular. Yet Noah was unmoved by the criticism because he was moved with godly fear. Noah cared about God's approval more than he did his reputation with men. Despite the public scorn for his project, we're told he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. A faith-filled Noah built a boat and preached God's impending judgment. You know, faith hears what other people don't. It becomes privy to information other folks lack. Faith is often laughed at, but remember, it was Noah who got the last laugh. And by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham comes home one night, and he says to his wife, Sarah, Honey, pack up. We're moving. And Sarah replies, But Abe, where are we going? And he answers, When God tells me, you'll be the first to know. (laughs) Just imagine the discussion that ensued. Hey, Noah believed without seeing, whereas Abraham believed without knowing, and I believe the latter may be more difficult. Hey, I don't have to see as long as God tells me what's going on. It's when God conceals the details, when I'm expected to trust Him where I can't trace Him. It's when I don't have all the facts that my faith gets tested. Too many of us are addicted to details. We want to always know why. Why, God? Why, God? Is our constant prayer. Faith, though, turns the letter Y into O. It doesn't need to know why when it's sure of who. And verse 9, By faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Author Kent Hughes, he helps us think of Abraham's faith in modern-day terms. He writes, Imagine God promising you and your descendants the land of Guatemala. And in obedience, you travel there and live for the rest of your life in your camper, along with your son's families in their campers, moving from place to place. You remain an alien for the remainder of your sojourn without full citizenship rights, a perpetual outsider. See, Abraham was given a land he never fully possessed, and he was okay with that, for he was actually looking for more. Abraham was looking for a heavenly home. Abraham realized that in this life, like all of us, he was merely passing through. You know, we're all foolish to make too much of earthly stuff. So much of what was important to us just a few weeks ago, we've discovered is no longer under our control. Those season tickets you thought you had, meals at your favorite restaurant, retirement plans, and the nest egg you were counting on, the kids' education, the dream vacation, it's all been tabled out of our consideration for our nation's health. And what should matter to us even more is our eternal health, our citizenship in heaven. See, a wise man makes preparations for his ultimate destination. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised And wow, was she past the age. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was an unbelievable 90 when she birthed the promised child. They were the first couple in history to qualify for a senior discount on their labor and delivery bill. It was by faith. Sarah conceived because Sarah believed. And perhaps God wants to do a miracle of new life in you. You're weary And weak, you need some strength today. Then receive it by faith. Have you judged him faithful who promised? Do you have a Godward expectation? Well, Verse 12. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead. And what an assault on the male ego. The writer refers to Abraham's libido as good as dead. Not even Viagra could help the old boy. He was beyond hope. And yet God gave him strength. And from Abraham were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. He goes on, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having, been, having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, this is what enables a person with faith to do. He sees what's far off, he embraces it, and then he uses it on a challenge that's up close. To take the far off and apply it to the up close, this is faith. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, faith refuses to dwell in the past. Its focus is forward, not backwards. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. People of faith live for eternity. They evaluate situations and adopt values and make decisions from a forever perspective. Heaven is the motherland of faith. Perhaps you heard the story of the pioneer missionary, Henry Morrison. Henry was returning to the States after 40 years in Africa. On board the same boat was the president at the time, Teddy Roosevelt. He was returning from a safari. When the boat docked in New York Harbor, a huge reception was there to greet the president. Morrison, though, exited the boat alone. He was dejected. After all, he'd just spent 40 years serving the Lord, and now on his return home, no one seemed to care. But as he was getting off the boat, the Lord reminded him, Henry, you're not home yet. And we all should be reminded of this same truth. This world is not our home. We're not home yet. Well, Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. See, God always puts faith to the test. He promised Abraham and Sarah a son. Then he waited 25 years to work the miracle. And their faith would be tested again. For after providing him a son, God told Abraham to offer up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Abraham passed God's test, but it was far more complicated than what meets the eye here. See, the writer quotes Genesis 21, verse 12, Of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. See, God had promised Abraham that he would sire a great nation that would give birth to the Messiah, the seed of God's salvation. So if Abraham sacrifices Isaac, where is he going to get his grandsons and his great-grandsons? What God is commanding Abraham defied logic. The future of a nation, even the promise of God for salvation to all mankind, rode on this man's expression of faith. Well, the words written in verse 17 seem so simple to us. When he was tested, offered up Isaac. But they don't do justice to the reality of Abraham's unquestioning faith. Genesis 22 verse 3 tells us that the day after that command came, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He was on his journey. Notice it was the very next day, early in the morning. Abraham didn't even sleep on it. There was no stalling. There was no hesitation on his part. There was no arguing with God over the matter. Abraham just obeyed. Boy, I hope my faith never gets tested to this extreme. What would you do if God told you to offer up your only begotten son as a sacrifice? Well, we know what Abraham did. He took Isaac to the appointed place, strapped him to the wood in the altar, and raised a knife above his throat. How could he sacrifice the embodiment of all his hopes? Well, Verse 19 reveals, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. The Greek word translated concluding is a mathematical word. It means to calculate. Abraham was mathematical in his deliberations. You know, often Christians get accused of having blind faith. Or faith that denies logic. But not so. Our faith is a reasonable faith. It just adds God into our calculations. Abraham reasoned this situation out. God had given him a son. Isaac was essential to the fulfillment of God's plan. Yet Abraham was certain that God had told him to sacrifice his son. Abraham put two and two together and he concluded, God must be planning to raise Isaac from the dead. There had never been a resurrection to this point. Yet Abraham figured that God would perform the first. Again, verse 19. From which he also received him in a figurative sense. And here is where the plot thickens. God never had Abraham lay a knife on Isaac. But in his heart of hearts, he sacrificed his son. And in so doing, this brought him into the deepest possible communion with God. Abraham participated in a dramatic symbolism. For 2,000 years later, the Father God offered His only begotten Son, Jesus, on the same spot that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. On our Israel tours, we visit Skull Hill, the site of Jesus' crucifixion. We visit the garden tomb, right next to it, where his body was buried. And I've checked, I've been in that tomb, it's empty. Abraham's faith in resurrection was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus, which means the eventual test of faith is on you and it's on me. Do we trust in the cross and resurrection for our forgiveness and for his life in us? Verse 20 tells us, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, concerning things to come. This was amazing faith. You remember Jacob stole Esau's birthright by pretending to be him and fooling his nearly blind father Isaac. It was a con job, a terrible deed. Yet Isaac let it stand. Even in an act of deception, Isaac saw God's providence at work. Through faith, Isaac stood by the hijacked blessing. By faith, Jacob, When he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Here's another incredible act of faith. Jacob sensed his grandson's destiny. He realized the younger boy, Ephraim, would supersede his older brother, Manasseh. So when the time came to bless them, by faith, Jacob crossed hands. He swapped hands and he blessed the younger son over the elder. It was a shocking departure from culture. And yet Jacob knew God's will trumps tradition. Joseph also demonstrated faith. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph knew God's word and that Israel's future was in the land of promise. So by faith, he gave his family instructions to bury him back home. And Joseph's faith was vindicated. 400 years later, when Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, they took with them the bones of Joseph to bury in Canaan. See, the faith of all four Hebrew forefathers, all four patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, prove that faith isn't blind faith. It actually sees further. The man of faith doesn't see less than other people see. He sees more. Well, twenty-three, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Here's some parental faith in action. Jewish historian Josephus tells us, One of Egypt's sacred scribes, who was very discerning in foretelling future events truly, told the king that about this time there would be a child born to the Israelites who, if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian dominion low and would raise the Israelites. In reaction to this prophecy, the Pharaoh ordered all Hebrew male babies to be put to death. And yet he didn't plan for the faith of two parents. They put Moses in a tiny basket and they floated him down the Nile. Moses was found, and he was adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's hard to imagine the advantages afforded Moses as a member of the Egyptian dynasty. His wealth was inexhaustible. And yet, with the riches of the world at his fingertips, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Somehow Moses was able to see through the vanity of Egyptian culture and the foolishness of their idolatry. In contrast to the Egyptian emptiness, Moses saw these Hebrews joyful, even in the midst of distress. And he was willing to suffer momentarily to lay claim to an eternal God. Moses swapped the passing pleasures of sin to identify with God's people. Realize sin is pleasurable. We have to admit it. If it weren't, it wouldn't be tempting. But its pleasure is passing and fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. How quickly the pleasure of sin turns into pain. Reminds me of how Eskimos kill wolves. What they'll do is dip a knife into blood. And they freeze the knife on top of the blood. For a wolf, though, this makes for a tasty popsicle. They come and they lick away the blood off the knife until the tongue gets to the blade of the knife. And by this time, the wolf is so used to the taste of blood, he doesn't realize that he's tasting his own blood. He ends up licking himself to death. And this is the trap sprung by sin. At first, sin tastes good. Oh, it's a lot of fun. But at some point, and the problem is, it's not always detectable to you. Your pleasure ends and your destruction begins. Sin looks inviting until it's compared to God's blessing, as Moses did, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses knew in the long run, and again, men of faith, look at things from the long run. Moses knew that he was better off suffering for God than savoring Egypt. Satan offers instant gratification, but over the long run, hardship with Jesus is better than treasure in hell. Verse 28, By faith... Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. God told Moses to kill a lamb and spread its blood on the doorpost of every Hebrew home. As a result, God's plague passed over the houses where the blood had been applied. And this is now true of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul says that Jesus is our Passover, by faith, we sprinkle his blood on the doorposts of our heart, and spiritual death passes over us. Well, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. With their back to the sea and their face toward the attacking Egyptian army, the Hebrews had nowhere to go but up. Moses trusted God, and God worked a miracle. The Red Sea parted before them. And note the charitable recounting of this story. By faith, Israel passed through the Red Sea. Go back and read that story in Exodus. And other than Moses, very few people had any faith. The Hebrews doubted and they wanted to return to Egypt. Yet this is the flavor of the whole chapter. Every member of the Hall of Faith doesn't always act like they belong remember Noah, the great man of faith, got drunk. Abraham succumbed to fear and lied. Sarah laughed at God. Yet God commends each one of them for their faith and refuses to recall their lapses. This is the wonder of our salvation, friends. Chapter 10 told us the just shall live by faith. It's faith, not our goodness, that makes us right with God and keeps us right with God. God treats us as if we've never sinned, even when we do. By faith. Now the writer starts to scroll rapidly through history, noting example after example of people who pleased God by faith. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. This may have been one of the greatest examples of collective faith in all the Old Testament. Israel's army followed the strange battle instructions that God gave to General Joshua. On the seventh day, they circled the wall seven times, blew their trumpets, and the city's walls collapsed. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. As a harlot, Rahab spoke to her share of strangers, and she'd heard of these Hebrews and how God had delivered them from Egypt. Thus, when two of their spies seek shelter at her house, she cooperates. Hey, Rahab was a shady lady, but she was nobody's fool. She figured Israel's God was the true God. And due to her faith, as ill-informed and as underdeveloped as it was, she threw in her lot with the Hebrews. It was because of that faith she reaped the rewards of their victory. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, an obvious reference there to Daniel. See, here he just reels off rapid-fire examples of faith. We could study these examples for months. The point, though, is that anybody who ever became a somebody with God did it by faith. Verse 34, faith even quenched the violence of fire. A reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Men of faith escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. The raising of the dead referred to the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. And yet notice, in every case, faith is never passive, but active. All the people mentioned here are action figures. They act on what they believe. By faith, battles are won, kingdoms are conquered, the dead are raised. See, faith is never lethargic. Even when it waits, it's always reaching and stretching and on on the move for God. And faith not only does, it endures. Verse 35. For others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Believers under the threat of torture and death could have denounced Christ. They could have escaped, but they kept their eyes on heaven. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. You remember Jeremiah the prophet? He was chained and thrown into a pit of sludge. The point here is that faith didn't always ensure your deliverance. In fact, at times, it sealed your persecution. Verse 37, they were stoned. This was the plight of the prophet Zechariah. They were sawn in two. There's a non-biblical book called The Ascension of Isaiah and it has a passage in it that tells us that the false prophets of King Manasseh took Isaiah while he was still alive and actually sawed him in half. The book says that as they cut into the prophet's body and I quote, he neither cried aloud nor wept but his lips spake with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah endured by faith. Of course, later he was diagnosed with a split personality. It's just just a, little, just a little humor here. Others were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. These were citizens of heaven. These people of faith were on loan to this world as a witness for God. And yet they were never appreciated. Friends, if you live by faith, don't expect to be popular with this world. They wandered in in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Not a lot of health and wealth here. They suffered because of their faith. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. See, here's the common denominator with everyone in this hall of faith. They exhibited faith in God's promise without realizing its ultimate fulfillment. Their great faith might have meant much and endured much, but it received little in terms of present earthly compensation. Faith's hope was largely unrealized. These people of faith received a foretaste, but no one cashed in completely. Everyone on this list had to wait. And the reason is amazing. Verse 40 will blow you away. It says, God, having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. See, the Old Testament's great hall of faith was content with the promise of a Savior. And the grace of God that implied Oh, they longed to be forgiven once and for all and changed from the inside out and have total access to God. Yet they waited, settling for stopgap measures. Measures that came short of all God's blessing. Animal sacrifices earned from them a probation, but not quite a pardon. The law was in their hands, but it still hadn't gotten into their hearts. They were represented before God despite the fact that they had no personal access to God. See, these men and women of faith in this chapter, they were waiting for a new covenant while living under an old. And the writer of this letter says they were waiting on us. The new and better way the Hebrews were promised wasn't just for Israel. It was for all people, including you and me today. God wants to add us to his family of faith. Even you. It's His desire that we too learn to walk by faith. And it begins with an expectation, a Godward expectation. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, but you have to seek. Father, thank You for Your Word to us.